Well, welcome to our third session through the book of Daniel. Uh, we're looking through the end times, but we're going to focus tonight more on just the prayers that we find in Daniel and just kind of dissect them, learn about uh, just how it is that Daniel relates to God, how he sees God, um, some of those sorts of things. This will be largely discussion-oriented, so I'm going to be throwing out a lot of questions, and then just as a group we'll be uh, we'll be talking through some of those questions and how some of these issues impact our lives um, and you guys at home, you're you're welcome to uh, just kind of listen to the questions and the discussion. But uh, you should be having your own reaction to some of these questions, and there should be some uh, just useful advice uh, given out. Hopefully, um, feel free to participate in any kind of social media that might surround this as well. But let's get started in in Daniel chapter two. Um, so in chapter two, you you've got a uh, King Nebuchadnezzar who has had this. Uh, crazy dream. Um, most of us are pretty familiar with this story. Uh, he's had a he's had a dream. He is having trouble understanding this dream, and so he ends up calling together all the guys who usually help him explain things. But he figures, uh, well, let's let them also explain the dream itself, the contents of the dream, not just the interpretation. And obviously, none of the guys were able to do this, and so. Um, Nebuchadnezzar knows that uh, these guys are just making things up, so he decides to have them all executed. And he actually signs the death warrant. And, and I find the order of events that goes on in this uh, very interesting. You see that the death warrant is already signed for Daniel and for all the wise men. So the captain of the guards comes and he tells Daniel. And Daniel sets up an appointment uh, to interpret for the king. Before he's even received an interpretation from God, he set up that impo- appointment. So uh, there's obviously some kind of faith going on here um, that you know he doesn't have the interpretation in hand. At this point, he probably doesn't even know what the contents of the dream are. Um, then a, uh, a very classy move here is Daniel coordinates prayer with his guys, with the guys there, uh, with the, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gets together with them, and I, I find that something that's very important to prayer is that you're not praying alone, but that uh, you're part of a, a community that prays together. Um, so uh, that's a good lesson to, to take from that. Um, but continuing on in this order of events, as soon as he receives the vision, you see that Daniel praises God before he instructs Ariok, the captain of the guards, to stop the execution. Notice, notices uh, Daniel's priorities right there. Um, he stops and he praises God. I mean, to the point that it's written down. He praises God before going and letting the Ariok know, hey, we need to stop these executions because, you know, I've got an interpretation. Uh, let's go do it. So I find that very interesting, just his priorities there. I mean, could you imagine if you make a list what things are less important to you than praising God? I feel like I would look like a fool if I had a list. <laughs> yeah, I mean, here we have a life or death situation, and that seems to be less important to Daniel than praising God. Yeah, I, I suppose it would... Uh, I'm trying to think if there was a similar reaction um, or similar circumstance where... 
uh, I just had to, to tell somebody something. As soon as I found it out, I just told them, and then um, I knew they would remove the weapons from my family, or they would like uh, it's calling the if there's a house on fire, and uh, I need I figure it out, and then need to call the fire department, and I stop to praise God before I do it. Like there's something pending, worldly that could impact me, um, and I stop to. Uh, to praise God prior to addressing the, f- the very real physical circumstances or threat that is otherwise in my path, um, and yeah, I, I, I mean, I would I would hope that my priorities were right. Um, I don't know if my if my gut reaction would be to, to reach out for the physical lifeline first before right. addressing God's um, influence in the circumstance. Certainly, mm-hmm. see that too. <clears throat> it's. You're in that worldly situation where you have to act instead of asking for help or guidance, giving praise, rather than asking for something. Right. Asking for for help in the matter. Yeah. But you're stopping and just giving praise. I don't know. Seems like rather than that situation, it'd be praying for to help me. Yeah. Seems like that's the reaction I would have if I would stop and pray at all. I yeah. Guess. Lord, bail me out of this circumstance. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now, to even further emphasize the point, notice how it wasn't just uh, a quick, simple, hey, thanks, God. That it was developed, it was written down. Remember, writing isn't cheap, and paper isn't easy to come by. It, this wasn't a convenient act either. He recorded his prayer. That's why we've got it in the text right here about what was going on and he did all of this before he got to the king's interpretation before saving the lives of the other wise men so if that doesn't kind of give you a sense of what the priorities here are for Daniel in terms of praying um, I don't know what else does yeah do I if I look at this I'm traditionally terrible at this anyway but like if I look at the things in my life that I may have recorded um, how many of them are focused on um, my reaction to God in those circumstances versus I felt lonely today <laughs> or I was overjoyed my baby took a step or like whatever it is um, not that those are implicitly wrong right but like um, um, is my relationship with God to the extent that I want to uh, I desire to look back upon um, how I was praising God that day how I was thinking about God and, and that is that is one of the memories I cherish is my reaction to God in those circumstances or rev- the, the basically the revelation of God in those circumstances. That would be kind of a, that, this seems like a really, maybe a cool thing actually to start, to actually write that down, to, to record that more, you know, journal how, <laughs> where I'm at with God. So, I mean, that actually leads right into my next, uh, my next question is, do you write down your prayers and would you like to? Yeah. And how can you start? Not just, hey, this is a great ideal, but literally, what is a next step uh, that could actually move you in that direction if you want to do that? Uh, what step do you need to take? Uh, I, for me, it would be um, uh, just making it, uh, prioritizing it, and, and looking, not thinking it's something, it's not another thing I need to fit in um, with the rest of my week, but to recognize that the rest of my week is influenced by um, that, that commitment. Um, that I can, uh, I and those around me can grow spiritually um, from having done that. I was actually, it's weird that you brought this up. I was, um, I was reading through s- some stuff that I had written last night, and I came across a, um, it was a prayer uh, for my wife uh, that I had written down, 
and and I was reading through it, and I thought like, if if only I was intentional, and I don't mean um, false or posturing in a prayer, right? But like, if I was that intentional with um, talking to God, like the, as opposed to just kind of throwing stuff, whatever comes to my mind, um, that I actually spend time considering who He is, um, His His uh, His role in my life, um, the things that He has done. And then bring that context into how I speak to him today, both in hope and in sincerity and love and praise and worship. Um, perhaps, uh, perhaps my prayer life would be different, um, and would be uh, would be would be deeper. Would engage with God at a at a deeper level than than perhaps what I'm doing now. And I think writing some of those things down uh, would be helpful in that. Mm-hmm. So, what steps can you take? What's your next step? What's your action point here? Uh, I, I need to just start my week doing that very thing. <laughs> like, it, just I, um, allocate some time um, to that being the case, to um, to writing down my prayer for God, to God um, in that week, and maybe maybe using that as a basis for the things that I'm that I'm praying for um, for that week. Um, it could be also something I can share with my kids because you know, we pray at we pray at night together. Mm-hmm. Um, and just so, um, just so they know the things that I'm praying on, we tend to, I mean, there's stuff that we pray together as a family, but um, maybe even a way to kind of guide that, that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Goes back to priorities. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I got. Okay. <laughs> so you want to make it a, a greater priority for you then? Yeah. So if it is if it is a greater priority, then how do you fit it into your life? Then, like, what would be an actual tangible step to to act upon that as a new greater priority? What would be required? Carving out the time, mm-hmm. I I would say, making sure that that maybe that, that comes first, prior to others. But yeah, carving out the time. I think for me, it's getting up earlier. Like I'll have to do it. I'll have to do it in the morning. Um, yeah. So it's a tangible step. I need to get up uh, probably four to five minutes earlier than I than I well should, and then probably an hour before I have been. Yeah. For me, I think I, I need to actually go out and get a journal and and start writing it down. Oh, yeah. I, I was kind of hoping for just kind of dead tree format myself but yeah I, I mean i realize yeah we live in the digital age i could very easily just record things with all manner of devices but um there's something just very personal about about having a a handwritten uh, book or something like yeah. that so typing seems like work and not just like me doing physical work but like because that's where a lot of my work is done is typing at a keyboard um it's just not the i don't know not to get all hippie on the deal but like it's just not the vibe to be standing <laughs> at your at your laptop tapping away Journal entries. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot more room for distraction there as well, and that's kind of the enemy of my prayer life as, as it is. So, yeah, uh, I think that's the case for me. All right, um, moving on from there, we'll actually come back to prayers and journals a little bit later on. But uh, moving on here, uh, I want to get to what do we learn about God based on some of the content uh, of this. We've got. Four verses here, Daniel uh, chapter 2, verse 20, 21, 22, and 23. Uh, that's his prayer. And there's something unique about prayer in the way that we pray reveals the way that we approach God, what we believe about God, and what we what we really think about who God is. It, prayer reveals our, our theology in ways that other spiritual disciplines don't. 
just about anyone can read the Bible and, and digest it in different ways, but the way that we pray expresses uh, a lot of our expectations about God, about who he is and how he's likely to respond to us. And so based on this, just these four verses here, what kind of sense, what kind of role uh, do you see Daniel expecting as he's approaching God um, in terms of just as you're skimming through here, like at the very beginning, it starts off with blessed be the name of God. So apparently you would expect God is one who is probably worthy of being blessed and he is okay with receiving blessing. So okay. those are already two two things that uh, that we know about God just based on that. So if you do, just looking through some of these prayers here, uh, kind of come up with what, what kind of theology can we learn uh, about God? What, what's his business? What, what roles? What are things that God likes to do just based on the contents of the prayers? What jumps out at you? Uh, well, I... Um on 21, where it's, um, I see he changes times and seasons, he removes kings and says, sets up kings, um, his sovereignty, his might, mm-hmm. um, and then as it follows, um, his graciousness and his, and his giving of gifts, he gives wisdom to the wise, and I don't think that is, um, we should strictly look at that in the, in the highlight of the previous verse, or of the same verse, um, as simply it is his to give, it is that he gives it, um, so I think that's important. And then he reveals deep and hidden things, um, something that is hidden from us that he obviously knows that he does not have to reveal. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where his, his graciousness is. So like of, of all these things that he controls, um, Daniel points to not only his, his might and his ability to control them, but also his giving of those things that he does not have to, mm-hmm. um, and it, which is a very pertinent thing, I suppose, for Daniel in this circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah. Those those are a couple of things that jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. I was looking at verse twenty one, and it <clears throat> just realized in the context it, here we have a guy who's already kind of on the outs with uh, with Nebuchadnezzar just because he's of the class of of uh, I don't know what the term is seers or magi or whatever they are, but. Um, and so he's talking about uh, this spiritual fellow he knows named God who removes kings and sets up kings. Think about that line in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, that's I mean, that's just about treasonous. Right, yeah, right. And here he is writing it down. You, you know what? You know what's cool about this? Just looking over this prayer, this is almost a, um, a responsible outline of the book of Daniel. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, you see him uh, set up Nebuchadnezzar and uh, remove him, restore him, and then the, the the prophecies that happen towards the end are that very thing of kind of walking through God, setting up, giving wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding um, that is not only shown out in the wisdom of, of Daniel, um, but also in the things that we are given. Uh, the deep and hidden things, and you're kind of looking at, at prophecy things that God would know that we wouldn't necessarily know. Um, and then our reaction is to give thanks and praise uh, for providing wisdom and might and made known to what we've asked of him, which is basically an understanding of where he's going with things. So it's, it's kind of a cool microcosm of the, of the whole book yeah. contained in this prayer. Yeah, I mean, it, I think you're right. This very much is an outline of how Daniel relates to God, how yeah. he sees you know, his relationship to God, what God provides, what, what he receives ultimately. 
um, and you see, yeah, a lot of just this uh, this wisdom and understanding, and you also see the um, coming and going of kings involved in this, and just this constant uh, repetitious uh, praising God and blessing God all throughout it. I mean, that's yeah, that's the book right there. <laughs> Uh, how about verse 23, where he starts mentioning, um, let's see, to you, O God, of my fathers. How does that change the dynamic a little bit? That extra phrase, of my fathers, that it's no longer just him praying. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it speaks to the... Um I suppose the consistency, the permanence of of God. Mm-hmm. Um, these things, these attributes of God, are not only things that uh, Daniel recognizes now, but otherwise, I think we can we can understand as being um, how He has been and always will be. These are His these are His attributes, mm-hmm. um, and and that He has always been that way. I suppose that's why you see a lot of things. Um, a lot of the, the prophetic reminders are pointing back to. Um, things that God has done to show that this is how He is. It's part of His characteristics. When He um, primarily pointing back to uh, come, you know, coming out of Egypt, um, because that's always what they're longing for. Even during this period that Daniel is talking about, that being able to be restored, or, um, God's hand uh, handling enemies and stuff. And so uh, maybe all, all that kind of pulls all those types of things together um, with God's consistency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, you learn that he's consistent. He didn't just, didn't just pop up overnight. Um, one other thing I'd, I'd like to point out about this, and I'm actually headed in a direction with this, is uh, um, notice that there's generations going on. It's not just him. It's also his fathers and, and his, his grandfathers. And, and we've been looking through just these couple of chapters, or just these couple of verses, and we've learned about how Daniel relates to God. There's, not only does prayer reveal our theology, when we pray with others, it reveals to others our theology. In, in other words, we can learn uh, about God just by praying with others and just being exposed to other people's prayers. We can learn about how they relate to God, how they talk to God. So what I'd like you to do is just kind of imagine, uh, if you could, uh, just imagine how would you like to have a prayer journal written by your great-grandmother? I think that would be extremely interesting. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine some of the things that that she might have written about in her life, just as as she's talking with God and saying, "Hey, here's what's going on," you know, what what the prayers might be like. Do she might have a tone that's very proper and polished. She might have a tone that's very just very raw and, and rugged in terms of, "Hey, here's what's going on." I, I don't know exactly what her posture would be like uh, before God, but it'd be very interesting. It's almost like I kind of get a chance to. Just kind of learn from her, yeah. Learn from her, her God story, and I don't know if you know she writes it down for you know a couple of months or a year, or maybe it's over a longer period of her life or something like that. But um, I think that would be one of my very treasured possessions if if I ever had that. Yeah, um, certainly shared among uh, among my siblings and my cousins and and. You know, I, I think we would all be keeping track of that. Yeah, yeah, and it, like um, not only in a familial way, I suppose, but just the opportunity that we have. Um, boy, you know, I hate this phrase, but like one of the things that I think has been a blessing to me um, has been hearing um, 
people from other uh, other cultures um, pray or talk about God um, because it's 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 extremely interesting how much is reinforced um, where, where God's character is, is consistent and people talk to Him in a way that you would certainly recognize anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. I could pick that out, but like they're also because of where they're um, the culture that they're in or the things that they're facing, the type of things that they're bringing to God and the way that they're talking about it. And, and a lot of times the faith that they demonstrate, um, they're relying on things that I take for granted or things that I don't pray for anymore mm-hmm. because I can provide them myself. Mm-hmm. Um, something I probably should be repenting of in my own prayers. They are celebrating bringing to God. Um, and it, it is certainly a refining process for reminding me of what God looks like through someone else's eyes. And that never changes who God is, but it deepens um, some of the ways that he is described um, because I can understand them beyond my own context which is limited by, by my circumstances and I don't, I don't feel the pain or the desire or the hope that comes in a prayer from someone who knows um, who cannot provide for themselves versus um, when I'm praying for hope and peace like mine it's, it's coming from a different perspective and so um, that, that has been a very very cool thing is to kind of just have the exposure to um, whether it be literature or journals or prayers of people uh, who come from different cultures or different circumstances than my own, um, it allows me to see God um, in ways that I'm currently not capable of, of seeing by my own limited circumstances. So that's, that's actually been extremely cool um, to be able to do that. And it, it helps me, um, I think, get a continually deeper understanding of who, of who God is. How would you like to be able to contribute to that? I suppose I could turn over this prayer journal that I'm going to fire up. <laughs> My family will relinquish it. <laughs> so, I don't know if you guys... Just the whole thought of journaling, and it's always been an issue with me. I don't know if you guys do. You probably don't. <clears throat> just this mantra in my head that the only reason you write something down is because you want somebody to read it. So the whole experience of journaling, putting intimate stuff down on paper knowing that someone could read it like I have a tough time getting over that hurdle yeah breaking through that mm-hmm. yeah like I feel like I, I start a prayer journal and start writing mm-hmm. stuff down and then I would read it and be like that's crap <laughs> <laughs> rip it up throw it away like I it'd be tough for me to get past that I know it's that would be part of it being able to give that all up but but even in that, there's kind of a lesson in terms of yeah. uh, you can look back and see how your your prayers have have changed yeah. uh, over time. Uh, you would you would look back and see, okay, at first I was praying and it sounded very strange because I mean you know it's your first time journaling or something, mm-hmm. uh, but it would change and you would see you would start you'd be able to see the change, and that in and of itself would even be a lesson. But ultimately. The primary audience of prayer is God. Right. So, it, the fact that someone else gets to have benefit from that—I um, mean, we're fathers at this point, so that's what our lives are about—is yeah. just how do we bless our children? So, leaving behind a journal for them, for our children, for our children's children—I mean, that's—it gives us a chance to join with them in prayer and kind of show how we lead our families in a very unique way. Yeah. Right. What a what a cool thought to be. Like, I suppose with, with where my kids are at now, right? Like, I, if they have questions or if they have um, thoughts about God, like, 
there's nothing I like more than being able to have those discussions with them and talk them through, right? Mm-hmm. And so what what a cool opportunity that says not only do I get to do that with my kids, but mm-hmm. um, because those things are important to me. Mm-hmm. And like I don't know who's going to be around them. And, like, right. and I know at least my heart is pure in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, I can have those conversations with my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren and my great-great-grandchildren regardless of my of my presence. And it's not that the it's not that Scripture... Um, wouldn't be sufficient for communicating who God is, right? But um, it's a matter of, of depth. Could, do I can I know God even uh, deeper through the experiences of His people because He's He's a living and active God? So um, that 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 does seem pretty cool. And I was thinking about that uh, what you were talking about uh, about uh, potentially writing that someone else was, would read it. And like I have I have a, a very much uh, trouble with um, not wanting to posture in something like that but doing it anyway mm-hmm. like writing in a way of which um, it's it feels posturing to me and then it's disingenuous and I don't like it mm-hmm. and I suppose one of the ways to do to, to handle that is to simply react uh, write down what I would do without doing it right so like if I get if I go the next day and I, and I read back through the prayer and I say I feel like this was posturing and I wish to tear it out maybe I'll just write that in there <laughs> right. right I read back through this and this feels like it's posturing to me yeah. I wish to tear it out and just and just leave and it then, yeah leave it there and then leave it because uh-huh. um, so, there's, there's a process I, I think Dave's right I think there's a process of kind of refining to figure out um, we, we often don't know how to speak in a voice that isn't posturing like we just we're too much of a communicative uh, generation I don't I don't know how to talk without expecting someone to hear. Um, I don't have a very cool, like, very good inner voice that's trustworthy. It just it, it thinks about posturing. Social media does it to you too, yeah. right? And so it probably takes a little bit to get comfortable in a space that says this doesn't require posturing. What do you really think? Mm-hmm. Um, what are you really thinking about? What are you really worried about? What are you really um, thinking through? Um, and I suppose it just takes some effort to, to have to go through that process to actually get to that point, um, knowing that uh, it's, it never will be entirely without posture. Anytime I open my mouth, there's some level of posturing. Um, but uh, I, I, suppose, I suppose that's it. You just you got you to gotta burn 50 um, to get on the trajectory to walk on the right one. Yeah. I guess I, along that line, I guess I've noticed that with praying with my own kids. I remember when we, when I started doing that, like taking over that role from Billy. Yeah. Um, it's very much like I sat down two hours before and scripted something out <laughs> and like just read it line for line. Mm-hmm. But like it's changed. Mm-hmm. Like there's been obviously some growth there, and now it's just it's it's more fluid, and we just speak about whatever, and it's more open. I don't know. So I guess I've. And I mean, along the lines with the prayer journal, mm-hmm. you can see the the steps. Um, I had another thought too. I lost it. <laughs> I just think we. I mean, we really live in a cool time where we could prayer journal with you know some kind of leather bound. Uh, I don't know leather bound volume in a quill that we could easily pick up, or we could just pull out a smartphone and do a video blog of our prayer yeah. and any of those formats are okay yeah. and you know any level of convenience is right there available to us and, and we could do this just very easily I mean for all I know I, I've got a YouTube channel or something that I'm going to be putting together in the next year or two and it's just me doing video blogs of my my prayer I will never look at the comments it's just here's another one here's yeah. the next day's prayer here's the next day's prayer and all of a sudden it has a far-reaching impact just because 
I think, yeah. Kind of going back to what you said, who is my primary audience? Yeah. And then I guess I can have a secondary audience, but knowing who my primary audience is when I'm when I'm doing this. I, I think that's what makes the difference between success yeah. or failure in this. Yeah. I mean, anyone getting through it is, I mean, they're going to recognize posturing pretty quickly yeah. as well. So, I mean, that's one thing I suppose you can grant for you can grant for David, right? Like your your psalms are are prayers of a very open man. Yeah. Um, some things that I would have trouble um, say repeating mm-hmm. at times, um, and so, but but those are probably a, a fairly strident example of um, what, seeing someone interact with God and pray, um, and we and we are to benefit from it. We are to get. Um, you know, to 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 see how um, he interacts with God, and then then learn more about who God is through it. And so, yeah, boy, I feel like this would be a good thing. All right, uh, that's probably enough on the prayer journal for now. And um, you know, it, it's just a very cool uh, prayer, and the fact that it was from so many so many thousands of years ago, and it's written down and recorded for us. I'm just very appreciative of uh, so. Going on to chapter 3, I find an interesting response. It's not exactly a prayer, uh, but I want to highlight it anyways, just in chapter 3. This is the the story of um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when they're standing before the king, uh, they they let the king know, hey, our God's able to save us. Um, But in verse 18, they they follow it up with this... uh, very familiar uh, response depending on your translation it might say and even if not or, or but even if not uh, we still won't um, bow down to you I, I find that interesting just because the response reveals something about how they approach God it shows that to them God's not just a tool for prosperity he's not just something that they can add to their life and, and make things better and so long as uh, everything works out for them uh then they'll continue praising him. They're saying, no, he. we know that he's able to. We can't say for certain that he's going to, but we know he's able to. And even if he's not. So what it means is that their devotion to God, it goes beyond the pragmatic. He's not just their tool. Um, obviously, they're not certain about saving. So it, it it's very telling of their relationship to God and, and what they expect of God and, and just uh, what they're willing to give to God. Even, even if not, we're, we're still going to step out. And there's a sense of uh, risk that kind of goes along with that, and so that just kind of leaves me with a with a question of what are how have I risked for God? I mean, they're they're obviously taking a stand here for God, and that shows something about their relationship to God. But it it asks me, what in my life am I risking? What do I risk? What am I willing to risk? And even not knowing how the outcome's going to work out. I'm still risking something, just stepping out and saying, God, I'm not sure how you're going to use this. I'm not sure if I'm going to fall flat on my face or not, um, but I'm still going to risk for you. How am I doing that with my life? Uh, me and Josh agree that that's a personal question you're going to have to answer for yourself. <laughs> Probably is, yeah. Yeah. But it's something that just, I want to make sure that I I am doing that with my life, that I I am risking things and realizing, hey, God's not necessarily going to exactly act in every way that I hope 
and imagine, but I'm going to end up learning a lot through it. And I'm going to end up getting deeper with God because of it. Um, but it does require risk. You know, I, uh, as you were talking through that verse, I wrote, I wrote awe next to it. Because the thing that popped into my mind was, was this, this thought process. If I'm, if I'm them and I say, hey, look, God will, God's going to do whatever. Let's just both kind of stand back and take a watch. Mm-hmm. And see what God does. All right. So, like, how if I if I maybe reorient your question, mm-hmm. it is how often, or am I always willing to say, hey, yeah, let's step back and see what God does, mm-hmm. as opposed to saying, uh, I expect God to do this. Um, if God is good, He will do this. I want God to do this. Right. Um, it's to say, if I understand who God is and I trust in the way that He acts, regardless of the circumstances, I will stare at the sun and say. Let's see what God does here, mm-hmm. and like maybe it's maybe it's uh, I get consumed in a fiery furnace, mm-hmm. and I wake up and I think, oh, I stare at the Lord Jesus, and I say, okay, that's what was done, <laughs> or, or or I walk out and I say, hey, did you see that? <laughs> that's what was done, <laughs> and like how I, it's um, can I be in awe of God to say, what are you going to do? Because mm-hmm. whatever it is, let me let me take a gander, <laughs> yeah. and I'm I'm not so invested um, in whatever the outcome is. Um, because he's in, in whatever course his his hand was was part of it, yeah. and so can I can I stand in awe of God regardless of what I expect God to do, um, and 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 be grateful um, for whatever it is whatever it is that He has actually done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, the truth is is that I I don't know uh, well I know for certain that my life is not completely postured in that way. I um, I, I don't often enough put my thought process through that through that task. I know what I want. I will pray for a good night's sleep tonight and for a good day tomorrow in which we may further your kingdom and show love to others as you have loved us. Okay, canned information that I really want. Um, and, but, you know, can I say, Lord, you know, may we be in awe of you tomorrow mm-hmm. and, and, and call ourselves blessed for whatever it is that you do? Yeah, I'm probably not there. <laughs> Right, let's uh, jump down to verse 28. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, after the whole situation is resolved, Nebuchadnezzar reacts to this. And, and I like his reaction because it's a, basically a prayer. It starts off with him blessing uh, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as we look through this, I want in the back of your mind to be what, what can we learn about God from this prayer from Nebuchadnezzar. Now, take it with a grain of salt because obviously this is Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't grow up in full knowledge of, of God. This is kind of his second experience with God here um, at this point. So I don't know exactly what he's basing his theology off of other than maybe just these two instances. But it's still kind of telling. At the very least, Nebuchadnezzar's perspective of God um, can certainly be very interesting. But I I think there's a lot here that that might gel with with what we believe. So uh, let's take a look. Um, So he blesses God, and obviously God's worthy of blessing. Uh, who has sent his angel and delivered his uh, servants. So you see God in the role of sending a sender of angels and of in the role of deliverance. So apparently that's part of God's business paradigm is delivering. Um, delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command. So God's apparently willing to back up people who trust him, um, even defying a king. Um, I mean, we can 
learn a little bit about what God's priorities just based on this. So let's look through and see what other sorts of things we can learn about God from all of this. Uh, I, I kind of like the 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 end part of it. The end, the verse twenty nine says, "For there is no other God who is able to rescue um, in this way." Um, even with his limited understanding, um, he's rightfully um, set God above any other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it is kind of cool in the aspects that it, that it echoes what Daniel has prayed, right? So not even just just the start of the blessing, um, but when he says, um, "Set aside the king's command," um, you know that that's, that kind of harkens back to what Daniel was talking about of, of God setting up kings. Removes kings and sets up kings, mm-hmm. uh, because he has the influence over kings. He will he will do as he pleases, and so um, it's just interesting to see the, those two perspectives, at least to the extent that Nebuchadnezzar can, can has seen what God has done, um, acknowledges the same things that Daniel has, who comes from a much deeper um, uh, lineage, I suppose, of of people following God, and uh, I, I don't know, that's, that's that's pretty interesting. Any other reactions on that? Uh, going on to chapter twenty, chapter four. Then uh, this is a story where Nebuchadnezzar has a vision. He sees how uh, it's kind of a microcosm of himself and his kingdom uh, that he's ruling, and he sees it all get chopped down to pieces. Um, and he he's given a an interpretation of this dream, um, and it also ends up finding fulfillment. But then you also see some restoration uh, going on towards the end of the story. Uh, it's a very telling story, but uh, I'm noticing in in verse three, um, he starts off with um, with this preface uh, of praising God. It's a God that, at this point, Nebuchadnezzar barely knows. So he's telling this story about how he's um, how he's been kind of brought down, humiliated in a lot of ways, and his whole story starts with a praise to God. And it's a God that he really barely knows. I just find that interesting. It is, and it's uh, again like you see this. What the, um, some of this is echoed in um, in Daniel seven. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't know. It comes back to that cultural reaction, right? Like God is still understood as, as who God is mm-hmm. um, in limited ways, and deep ways, and consistent ways. Like we know. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Um, these are things that are obvious by seeing what God has, what God has done, mm-hmm. and and that is His reaction. And so the acknowledgement of who God is, and uh, in reaction to to what He has done, um, it's just it's interesting how consistent it is across uh, varying degrees of, of how well uh, you understand uh, or your exposure to God. It still seems to be a consistent reaction to who God is. I think it's kind of cool because it, it shows what the emphasis of this story is. And it's very humbling because Nebuchadnezzar is basically saying, hey, I'm going to tell you a story about God, not about myself. Yeah. Even though it may seem like uh, Nebuchadnezzar's in center stage, he's really not. It's God. It's a story about him. And, and that's very clearly evident in, in this uh, preface here. Uh, he just gets to be a character in the story. Uh, after Nebuchadnezzar f- 
is given the the dream and its interpretation, and he finds out that hey, his kingdom's about to be removed, and he's going to be brought low. Uh, he asks for advice, um, and I find verse twenty seven in particular just very interesting. Uh, the response that that Daniel gives in terms of advice um, now that you know the king knows he's about to be humbled, what should he do? It says in verse 27, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Any reactions to that that call to action there? <laughs> I like the simplicity of it. There's just, there isn't. A, Jesus is kind of like that too, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you need to turn from what you're doing. Follow me, and it generally includes some sort of um, request for mercy to the poor, or how you treat those less fortunate than yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it all tends to be bundled up together um, in, in, in calls to righteousness, um, even in you know the latter parts of, of Matthew, mm-hmm. and so. Um, it's pretty easy. Like there's not a long list here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wonder if I wonder if he um, if he limits this. It's it's missing it's missing a call to follow and worship God, right? In reaction. Mm-hmm. And so I so I suppose the question is why? Mm-hmm. Like usually that's we would lead with something like that: fall and worship God. Mm-hmm. It will produce righteousness, and you should impact those who God loves, which are the oppressed. Okay, mm-hmm. um, He leaves that off here. Right. Why? Why does He do that? That's what I find interesting. I suppose this isn't a um, this isn't a prescription for. Um, Entrance into to God's kingdom, but more so a uh, uh, simply for the potential, the ability to extend your His earthly kingdom. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's, your kingdom was confirmed. The fro king let my counsel, and that may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So I suppose if there's a distinction in there, it would be um, there are still uh, earthly benefits for living according to the precepts of kingdom living. Um, it's not an eternal promise, but it is a uh, certainly a potential lengthening of your own personal prosperity in this way. Right. Yeah. All right, let's round out chapter 4 with uh, this praise that Nebuchadnezzar gives at the end. So looking at verse uh, 34, uh, he summarizes at the end of the days, uh, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason uh, returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever. So again, let's listen for uh, what can we learn about God? What are What is some of God's MO and some of his business that... He's engaged in. For his dominion is everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? What's the isn't that the same isn't that the same case Jeremiah's making? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> who can who can yeah. who can stand against him? Yeah. His dominions forever. His kingdoms forever. Everyone on earth is subject to him. Uh, yeah. You have no leverage over him. They're counted as nothing. Uh, 
he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven. This is very much a statement of God's sovereignty. I think Nebuchadnezzar gets it, and if anyone knows sovereignty and authority, I think he would get it. Right. He would be the, the, the prime uh, man of the earth uh, to recognize what it is um, to be humbled by a king, uh, by a true king, mm-hmm. basically, and reflective of uh, what his what his stance is or what his relationship is to people around him. All right, so moving on, let's uh, jump into chapter 5. Just very quickly, I saw something very interesting there. Um, in verse 4 of chapter 5, so this is the story of Belshazzar and the, and the writing on the wall. Um, and they, they've, they get into this drunken feast and, and whatnot, and the, they drink wine and they praise the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. Um, what's missing? Copper. The, <laughs> the the text of the praises to the gods of of gold and of silver, and, and bronze and you know wood and iron and stone. Hmm. Uh, well, we don't know what the we don't know what the praises are. Yeah, the text isn't written. Right. Yeah. We know, we know the praises of Nebuchadnezzar's reaction to God, mm-hmm. but we do not know what they're praising the wood for. Yeah. Those are some of the classic lines of the Old Testament, too, where they're yelling at him for praising wood. Yeah. God's, God really goes after him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, these guys are not intentional about writing anything down. I mean, it's not recorded. It's very much de-emphasized here in the story because... The text of the praise isn't important. Oh, they've also been drinking, Dave. I mean, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> they may not be capable of recording any, any accuracy. Fair point. <laughs> Although they seem to recall a magic hand that went on the wall. So I mean, that's sobered them up real quick. <laughs> All right. Um, that was, I think, the only thing that really stuck out to me in, uh, in chapter five was just. You know, we've been going through all these other praises, and here it's just truncated like that. So, it's, um, not that it's worth spending a ton of time on, I suppose, in the grand scheme of things. But it would be interesting to see how, um, for the same reason that we can learn um, through the through biblical prayers more about God, how people at, at, um, pray to other gods, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, like, it would have been very interesting to see what that prayer was. Like, yep. what is it that they're actually saying in relation to, they can't say some of these things that uh, that Nebuchadnezzar is saying about God. Sure. Um, even if you're confused, it's going to be tough to make the case that the... Wood doesn't the, have an everlasting... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. In fact, of all the gods, I feel like I'd move up to the gold <laughs> if I'm going to do anything. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, it would, it would be interesting to, mm-hmm. to read that. Yeah. Hmm. Alright, so let's jump on to chapter 6 And this one's a, one of the very interesting uh, passages From the standpoint of prayer Just because it seems like it's the center uh, point of contention here with this Is prayer um, This is why Daniel gets into trouble This is everything that's going on And it centers around uh, how he's praying and who he's praying to And all that sort of stuff So chapter 6 is... Uh, uh, let's just start with uh, verse 5. I, I find it very interesting the way um, Daniel's enemies uh, regard Daniel. And I find their comments something that, you know, if this was written as an epithet 
to my life, I'd be kind of cool with it. I, I like it as a as a summary. And you know, they're enemies. They're they're looking for any kind of weakness that they can they can. And apparently, this is what they find. They say, "We'll find no, or we shall find, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God." And that they knew that. Uh, they couldn't attack this guy other than the way that he's connected to God. Right. That was the only thing that they knew. And that's kind of cool. I, I like the way that uh, Daniel's enemies talk about him. Um, I mean, it's so certain to them that they they build their entire attack strategy around it. Right. Um, and that's pretty cool. If only, I suppose, our, our lives were, were to the extent that anything anybody accused of stuff we would heartily agree with yeah. right that's that's really the that's really the deal with here where they say well you believe x y and z and we say yes i do yeah thank you guilty <laughs> i mean that's that's integrity right there yeah that's that's pretty cool so um all right verse 10 we find daniel's reaction as soon as he finds out about this decree from uh from the king uh it says when daniel knew that the document had been signed and it's now illegal for him to, to pray to any other gods. Uh, Daniel gets up. He went up to his house where he was, where he had windows in his upper chamber, and he opened them towards Jerusalem. Now, that was the tradition at the time, was uh, praying towards Jerusalem, towards the temple. So that wasn't anything particularly unique there. Uh, but he got down on his knees uh, three times a day, and he prayed and gave thanks before God, as he had uh, done previously. Um, I, I'm kind of curious, though, because it says when he learned about it, um, he just kept on doing this. I, I'm just curious if this is an act of defiance or if this is just what he always does or if this was him looking for um, deliverance from God. I, I'm kind of curious about what the tone of that prayer might have been. Yeah, so it says uh, three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. I suppose it depends what you attach that to. Mm-hmm. Um, did he... He could be a praying in just in reaction to it, not even just say, hey, I'll do what I want, but this is just what I do. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, or uh, if if bypassing something like this, my first reaction is to go to God. And so, uh, fortunately, those two things are at odds, but I will do so regardless. Mm-hmm. And so that's what he has done. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I think I'm... I'm almost certain that this isn't an outright act of defiance. And, and I'm willing to say that just because as I've been going through this text, I, I don't see anything in Daniel that ever shows any form of disrespect at all. Right. And so I, I don't think this is outright defiance. I think this is just him properly understanding that uh, God's ultimately in charge and that's what he's got to do and that's what he's got to follow. And so I think it's just him continuing that. I, I imagine the prayers are very... Uh, very focused at the time in terms of, hey God, here's this issue. Um, you know, I could be killed for this, but I need you to resolve this. Yeah. And, and you know, he he's a leader of people at this time, so it's not just him. It's really his entire Jewish community are all wanting to pray to God. I don't know if anyone's quite as open as he is, but yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm kind of curious though if. You know, as I've been looking through Daniel and, and I can't find any kind of disrespect like that, and obviously he is standing in a position where he is against uh, what what the government has established and said, this is wrong. 
And so here he is lining up with God and saying, no, this is, I, I've got to go with God. Um, and it, it's a form of civil disobedience. But I, I find it curious just kind of comparing the way that Daniel handles c- civil disobedience compared to the way that uh, the way that the church tends to respond to uh, the whole system in, in say, Washington or, or in other governments yeah. and just the reaction of, of our modern church. And it's, it's across the board. You've got all kinds of different personalities saying all kinds of different things. But I kind of look at that through the lens of Daniel and saying, okay, the way Daniel handled it, I like. I like the way that Daniel lined up with God. And so as I'm filtering through things and I see posts on, on Facebook about whatever, um, I, I'm noticing, you know, Daniel never shows disrespect to his authorities. On the other hand, some of these posts, ooh, buddy, <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, I suppose it goes back to the question: is is, is um, can we agree with Daniel when he says he changes times and seasons, he removes kings and sets up kings? Yeah. Um, so if God's, uh, if that was, if that has been God's doing mm-hmm. or God's permitting, um, then to um, to what extent is it a benefit or a virtue to rage against it? Mm-hmm. Um, but simply accept the circumstances and say, I wonder what God will do here. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that does seem to be, that does seem to be his posturing. It's not like he didn't have grounds to, uh, argue, um, with it. I mean, he, that's one of the things you don't see really is until after he's in the midst of something, does, this, uh, it's actually the circumstance or the, or his reaction that ultimately causes, uh, Darius and Nebuchadnezzar to, uh, change their perspective, or at least pronounce a perspective of God. Um, Daniel does very little of his own marketing. It's not yep. like he's going and fighting for this perspective. He simply lets God handle the circumstance, and then um, it is through that of which people change their their, their hearts are changed, their minds are changed. And that, that goes me back. I was reading through that um, uh, that book that you gave me from the guy that founded the Voice of the Martyrs, and like it's very much. I mean, they're talking some some very serious and dire circumstances in which Christians are being tortured under. Um, you know, mid mid nineteenth uh, 20th century communism, mm-hmm. and um, and it's it's it, it is through their proclamation of the gospel, but it's because of their their actions in the midst of how people are are treating them, of which validates the gospel that they're preaching mm-hmm. and the God that they speak of, um, and so it is. Um, God's word doesn't return void, but part of that not returning void is because it's lived out faithfully within the um, within the lives of His children mm-hmm. and demonstrated. And so um, it's just it's it's interesting where we we tend to be a society that fights in words mm-hmm. um, and expect words to do the work, mm-hmm. um, where we very much lack the um, the ability to be divided the integer the integrity mm-hmm. um, of which we can be de- separated from our words. Mm-hmm. And so because we lack those things, the words simply don't have the same they don't have the same power. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he 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 lets his um, words do the make the distinction but the actions basically made the point um, of which then your words meant something and could be now have to be understood in the light of what has been done um, and frankly most of, most of Jesus' teaching are the same way right his death on the cross then causes you have to, to re- look at the things that he said and the life that he lived and now we must understand what that calls us to um, uh, fully mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, euphemistically or shallowly mm-hmm. simply because of the life that Christ lived mm-hmm. um, which you know is a lot of what I think um he could have he could have resolved 
um, the, the chasm created by sin and the need for punishment in, in numerous ways that I'm sure he could think of that I cannot, mm-hmm. right? Um, but one of the things that comes with physically walking the earth among his creation and dying mm-hmm. is a validation or a um, the right perspective through which we can understand the things that he's taught. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think that's what, uh, what we see in Daniel, that we tend to see the opposite of, of today, is that we expect words to do the lifting and uh, our actions to make an exclamation point as opposed to let your actions do the lifting and the words um, basically to make the distinction that your action was intended to show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I find it interesting the, just the way that you were kind of comparing circumstances in that and realizing, you know, a lot of times in, in those troubled times we're praying for circumstances and, uh, you know, God will intervene at times, but he is more glorified in our response uh, to the circumstances. And so maybe we should be praying and emphasizing more on uh, how we handle the situation, how we, what we do with the, the circumstances that we're in, and um, not so much praying about uh, God resolving the, the circumstances and changing those, but instead let him be gloried in, in our response to those, in how we know that in spite of everything else going off, he's sovereign. And we love him and we can trust him. And that's something that uh, is, you know, it's very telling. So, challenging thing for me. Uh, I find the king's declaration in in verse 16, uh, as Daniel's essentially being executed or thrown into the uh, lion's den, uh, what the king declares to Daniel, he says, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Now, where you've placed that comma around the word continually very much changes the flavor of it, but I just find it interesting that the king acknowledges what Daniel does, and even just throws in the word continually. It's just interesting that that's in there, continually. Uh, I suppose that is also one of those things kind of validated by a pure by a pure faith is even a man that doesn't believe it says uh, I I cannot change your circumstances (laughs) may that be may that work out for you Mm -hmm. Um, you have a desire of at least a person who has lived um, with integrity um, that may that belief be of comfort I suppose in one way or the other regardless whether I believe it to be false or not Mm -hmm. Um, and it's interesting how ultimately prophetic these guys end up being Mm -hmm. in how they talk to uh, talk to God's people in these circumstances it's kind of interesting if we start looking through some of our world leaders, even the ones who seem like they're on the opposite side of a theological table from us. Yeah. How God can still use their words uh, in a prophetic way. It just, I mean, we we're just looking at Caiaphas earlier, uh, right? Earlier last week, that you know that ended up happening. And here you have a, a king about to execute Daniel, and he's saying the same sort of thing. And guess what? God does exactly that. Um, so two verses later, uh, 18, the king goes back to his palace and he spends the night fasting. No eat, no food, no feasting. No diversions were brought to him um, and sleep f- fled from him. Why do you think the king was so distressed at this point? I wonder if it, um, besides the fact that um, he has an influence on Daniel's circumstances, mm-hmm. um, I wonder if there's a sense that his his own power has been used against him, basically, right? If you're a king and you have uh, and you are a powerful man, and what you say goes, and what you've said has unintended consequences, 
you it is a you have to admit that you don't have the power that you thought mm-hmm. um, because there are there are circumstances in which someone has kind of connived you into mm-hmm. uh, or at least presented to you and now this thing has happened and you have no way to stop it and so that it is an implicit limit on the power that you have or your ability to control things and it certainly has to humble a man mm-hmm. um, to, to recognize not only the power that he he um, wields mm-hmm. in the circumstances that is created this for Daniel, but the power that he does not in his inability to stop it, mm-hmm. and so um, I, certainly that would that would be distressful to the extent that I can set a wheel in motion, but I can't stop the cart, mm-hmm. um, and uh, causes me both uh, to reflect in humility, uh, but I suppose also in distress at who that cart might run over, mm-hmm. and so I, I, it could be either one of those things or mm-hmm. both. Mm-hmm. Um, take a look at nineteen. What do you think? Does that Help to clarify a little bit. Uh, I, th- I think both can still be at play here. Certainly, like he he's running t- in haste to the den of lions, concerned about uh, with concern for Daniel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I suppose it still can carry the potential weight of um, I want. I need to know what I've, actually that I have done, mm-hmm. what my power has brought, mm-hmm. and what I've been unable to stop. But he certainly does seem to be concerned mm-hmm. about Daniel. Yeah. But why run with haste? I mean, it, you know, if it's a foregone cl- conclusion that. You know, lions are going to eat Daniel that night. Uh, the only reason to run with haste would be he's expecting that you know there's a chance that Daniel's God actually saves him. That's true. That's true. Like that, that was, that's completely unreasonable to think that, right? Like that's why they have a den of lions right. to handle these circumstances. Yeah. The thought that a guy might kind of shimmy his way out seems like there's no reason to believe such a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it does, I suppose, like create a a, a a bit of hope. What was it? This book has been on on spot this week um, in that uh, in that torture for Christ book about how uh, most of the communist leaders um, lived without hope like as much as um, they they may have uh, agreed to the system and there was a, there was a series of authors who had um, written books or articles or things in support of the communist system and um, there's an increasingly high suicide rate among them mm-hmm. um, because it really didn't produce in them hope they were men without hope they didn't nothing about what they believed after actually produced this, this for them um, and so minus that hope they then you know would take their own lives or end up turning or whatever mm-hmm. and so um, it's to show I suppose that whatever belief system that people have outside of God uh, it simply cannot produce the type of hope that uh, the concept of God would and so to the extent that there was even a bit of chance that Daniel may have survived it, it seems to be tied to the uh, the God whom you serve continually will deliver you mm-hmm. um, and so the king has hope that he otherwise dare not have in the circumstance but the presence of God in the circumstance mm-hmm. yeah. All right, jumping on to uh, verse 22 um, and 23 in, in particular. Uh, as we look through these two verses, uh, I want you to be thinking about what's this connection to faith and works as as it's being described here. Um, verse 22, My God sent his angels and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. So you have two reasons being given for for what's going on here. Um, how, how do we unpack this in light of uh, some of the discussion about faith and works?
So we have Daniel uh, saying, hey, this is because I have been blameless before God. Um, and then you have the king <laughs> saying, uh, this is because he has trusted in his God. Yeah, so I think it's, the, I think, um, would it be right to read it as the combination of the two? So um, what could be found of, to, of blame is a lack of trust. Mm-hmm. And so simply, it is not um, necessarily a measure of Daniel's um, personal righteousness. It is simply his trust in God, um, of which he is blame- he's blameless um, because he is, he is fully trusted. Mm-hmm. Um, so I suppose that, I think that's how I would attempt to connect those two. Could be, yeah. I, I was kind of thinking it might be almost a type of repetition. In other words, uh, they're just two sides of the same coin. Yeah. A, a man who's trusting in God is going to be found blameless, and you know, the only way to be blameless is to trust in God. So, yeah, um, that was kind of one of the ways that I I had looked at it. But I just find it interesting that in one verse, okay, cause is blamelessness. Yeah. In another verse, cause is trusting in God. Right. And I, I suppose. Um, I, I think I think in some of our attempts, I don't know. This has been really rolling in my mind this week. Um, some of our attempts for theological distinction is because we are uncomfortable with gray. We are uncomfortable with ways in which God acts that we cannot nail down mm-hmm. and catalog. Mm-hmm. And so some of the some of the theological points that I think people come to, they come to because they simply can't deal with a with something that says. Um, I don't know how to reconcile these two things that God does, mm-hmm. and uh, there, there's a little bit of humility that goes into the fact that says uh, I don't I don't fully understand uh, how God can, can can react in this way, um, not because I think it's out of His character, but but like He seems there are two aspects of which He is He is this and this, and how can I understand them? And um, as opposed to letting there live some ambiguity, because the, the minute you feel like you've nailed God down, I feel like you personally have a problem. <laughs> Um, because that would mean you are capable of doing so, and so to the extent that we can't embrace a gray, I think that's I think that's an issue, and I think this particular thing, faith and works, has done that, where um, we want to be um, we want to be completely uh, we want to eliminate works because it's, it's muddy, mm-hmm. it, it brings um, murkiness into a circumstance. We want to say by um, the, the Bible postures by faith alone, um, and then very much admonishes. Um, the works that we do right. um, and and our reactions to living in the kingdom and so I think we've actually created a greater distance between those things um, simply because we don't want to deal with the gray that exists as opposed to uh, what I think actually resolve those things is Daniel's reaction which is simply trusting in God mm-hmm. um, and eventually being blameless and so it's not my responsibility to have to resolve that gray area mm-hmm. and produce 300 volumes to try to explain what that distinction is. Um, I can trust God, and in that, I will be blameless. Um, and then at some point, I will know God's full character to the extent that I were created to be capable of that. And so uh, I think this is something that, that people want to tussle about when the, the crux, for the most part, is uh, am I trusting in God? And then can those can I live with the gray area and say, what will God do? And can I can I take all scripture in and say I can trust all of it, um, even the places where I don't understand how they reconcile? And again, I think my answer can be can be yes. And that showed up in the book too, where they um, they were talking about people who were um, captured and who have been you know were under communist um, in prisons and stuff for decades, and no one had seen a Bible in in fifteen years. Um, and there were people who never read a Bible at all, and yet can they? Can they still know? 
can they still know God? Um, they no one's no one's argued over millennialism, uh, uh, millennialism, or predestination, or like all these things that, that we. I understand why we talk about them, but like, um, can a guy who's never seen a, a, a Bible that they're simply not arguing about those things? They're praising Christ to their death without that argument, and so. Those guys will trust a gray, um, whereas we want to haggle over because that's where we feel like our skills are at. Yeah. We're going to do that. You know what I thought was interesting, though? Um, and I, I wonder how far this speaks to the discussion we were having about um, engaging with, with governments and stuff. But look at the description in 22. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Mm-hmm. And so, like, part of what's baked in here, Daniel's description was baked in here, is his reaction to the king in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I probably have to read through that a few more times to, you know, I don't know, filter it for right make sure there's not a broader context to think about that, but it certainly seems to be part of how I posture to you, even in this circumstance, I have caused no harm. And it implies that there um, there might have been a different reaction had he reacted differently, mm-hmm. even to the king in the circumstance, which I think probably uh, feeds from the first part, which is uh, still trusting in God. Mm-hmm. I, I do not have to handle this myself. I don't have to accost or, or confront the king. I will simply trust God to handle those things. And so it is an example of how he was blameless. He said, God will handle this. is not my responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just interesting that that is even necessary, whereas uh, he was blameless before God had trusted him, would seemingly would have been enough. Um, this aspect of how he dealt with the king is, is an interesting uh, addition that is brought to our knowledge that, uh, that we have to deal with in one way or the other. Uh, towards the end, the, the king makes a declaration, uh, letting all peoples, all nations on earth that dwell in them, uh, let them know about uh, who this God is. And, and so... The question once again is what do we learn about God? As the king is introducing this God of Daniel to the known world, to the civilized world, he wants them to know about this guy. What kind of summaries? What are some things that we can learn about about God based on this? Is that the first time that somebody says he's a he's a living God? Uh, no. The first time in history or in uh, recorded history that he's described as living was uh, actually Hagar. Uh, she referred to God as the living one who sees me. Right. Um, how about how about among the prayers? I was just going to see if Daniel Daniel didn't say that. So it's um, I mean it's certainly implied by how they talk about it, but like it is a um, uh, it's interesting that he says for he is the uh, he is the living God enduring for forever, and then you see him echo. Um, both what Daniel has said and what Nebuchadnezzar has said, his kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be uh, to the end or for generations and generations. Mm-hmm. Um, he delivers and rescues. There's there's his deliverance. Um, he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, um, which is what, uh, that's similar to what Daniel said. Mm-hmm. Um, wait, was it? Or maybe it was what Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar. said. What happens yeah. in? The prayers of these pagans are actually pretty cool. I wouldn't mind praying with them. Yeah, right. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. He works signs and wonders in heaven and earth. Yeah, yeah. There's some consistency among their reaction to God. Yeah. 